Well, hi, everyone. We're back here at Massive Late Fee. We've got uh, another celebrity interview for you. I know you guys have been really loving these celebrity interviews, so we try to bring them to you as often as we can. We are joined today by uh, an actor, a writer, stand-up comedian, singer, a uh, real renaissance man, and a uh, man about town, uh, Dylan Kelly, joining us from New Brunswick. How are you doing today, Dylan? I'm doing well. So you are, you can see Dylan in uh, a, a movie you're filming right now called Side Piece. Uh, what, uh, what is, what's that uh, movie about? So the film is a comedy uh, film and it's basically about uh, men cheating on their women and they're trying not to get caught. Okay. That makes sense. That's yeah. That's basically the short synopsis uh about it so there's just it's just a bunch of guys uh hanging out with each other and they all have girlfriends but they all have a side piece so uh one by one the girl catches them one by one and they're all trying to get out of it together so it's a it's pretty it's a funny story it's like 10 little indians instead of uh being killed they're being caught cheating exactly that's exactly (laughs) what i was gonna say um so you started out in did you now did you start out in acting or did you start out in stand up comedy? You know, it's funny you say that. I've I always start actually I started out writing. Okay. Writing I was um about ten years old or, or so. And then uh through my writing I just started writing material based on my uh own life experiences and I started using that in, in comedy and I started going to open mic nights and stuff like that around town and then yeah it kind of just uh stuck with me and then i decided to get into this acting thing i always wanted to be an actor but i didn't really know how to get in mm-hmm. and then i kind of uh got in so um did you now when you started i know a lot of stand-up comedians they talk about how rough it is well, when you first start out now did you when you started out did you did you have a lot of rough crowds did you bomb a lot or uh did you find success early on? Um, well, I, you know, people never really, I was never bombed out. Uh, I, I certainly did. I, I think it was pretty good for the first time. I mean, I, it was hard for me cause I was nervous. I'm like, well, I don't know how to make people laugh because I mean, in real life, wherever that is, I don't, um, I can't get up on a stage and tell a joke. You know, I'm usually funny through, speech or when I'm talking to someone or I, I have to think of something quick. It just comes out naturally. I don't try to force it out because mm-hmm. people who try to force being funny, they're usually not funny. So it usually, it just comes out naturally. And then I decided to take the natural things that I say and write them down. And then it became material that I would say on stage. Gotcha. Like that. But no, I was never bombed. Uh, I think for the first, I was pretty successful. Yeah. Well, that's, but then you have some crowds good. of people who are, you know, jerks or something oh, oh yeah yeah the uh the have you ever done any uh any acts on the west coast because i know the the new york audience uh can be different than the the west coast audience as far as as comedy goes that's very true um i have never done any comedy work on the west coast um i've been to the west coast but i've never done any um uh comedy on the west coast um I would love to. I mean, you know, if there's any opportunities in the future, sure, you know, if it pays well, why not? Um, 
But uh, no, I've never been in the West Coast. But yeah, you're right. Most people on the East Coast are very serious and they're very, you know, oh, life is rough. But people on the East, on the West Coast, sorry, they're all high all the time and they're all happy and oh, it's sunny <laughs> out. But, <you> know, so <laughs> it always rains over here. It's always sunny there. <laughs> um. So now I know you've been on several television shows. Uh, in, I have, yeah, yeah, including uh, you know Blue Bloods um, on CBS. You've been on a few episodes of that. What What's it like to be on the set of a uh, you know a, a studio or not a studio but a network television show like that? How does that time show like that? Yeah, yeah. how does that differ? from, say, uh, some of the more independent movies that you work on? Well, I would say um, <laughs> uh, my very first uh, show that I got booked for, uh, that I got hired for, was for Blue Bloods. That was my very first thing I ever did. And it was just so surreal. I mean, I remember being on the set, and, you know, I didn't think anything of it, you know, and I tried to fit in, and I didn't fit in, but I tried to stay away from the idea of not fitting in and then it was all right but then as soon as i saw uh tom Selleck come outside uh from a, a shoot uh he walked i looked at him and he looked back at me and then he walked past me within like he was like three feet away from me and i could smell the cologne as he walked past me and it was just so that was like a that was my moment when i'm like wow i'm really here it didn't hit me until i smelled the cologne as he walked by that's it was a, just so real. That's a local connection for us too. Uh, Tom Selleck from the Detroit area famously wore that uh, Tiger's cap when he was in Magnum PI. So yes, he did. Yeah. My mother's a huge fan. Oh yeah, my mom was too for sure. Uh, so you've been uh, in several different films. Uh, you're uh, filming a horror film right now. Can you tell us anything about uh, about that film? Well, I'm not. I'm not filming it yet. We're we're working on it. It's in uh, pre-production right now, but I can't give any information on it yet because I'll get in a lot of trouble. Right? For hush, that. hush. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so that's something that we can look forward to down the line. Um, you uh, you're writing an autobiography uh, about your life, uh, sort of a, a comedy autobiography dealing with uh, uh, several different issues. You said, you know, you started out writing, so, it, you know, it makes sense to to move to, uh, you know, an, an autobiography like that. What, um, what kind of inspired you to begin this project? Well, um, <laughs> um, I always was a writer was writing i've been writing since i was 10 years old i would write little horror stories myself i've always been a huge horror fan um so i always wrote little stories i wrote a, a story pretending like i was on the titanic and like i was on the boat when it was sinking and i introduced i made up characters and stuff like that um and i've always kind of uh done that and then i'm like well let me write an autobiography and then i was like well let me I don't know. I'm not 70 years old. I'm not Betty White or anything like that. And most people, you know, old people write, uh, you know, autobiographies, you know, and I mean, they're like, oh, well, you know, I was born in, you know, 1940 in, you know, 
the upcountry and it was just, you know, it was terrible. We didn't have any money and, you know, stuff like that. So I knew I didn't want it to sound like that. I didn't want it to be boring and plain and simple or whatever. So I decided, well, let me do it my way in my own little uh, twist. And uh, I uh, had an issue, small little issue, more like seven. But I went into like uh, a rehab. I was in a rehab. And uh, when I was there, they were telling us to talk about our uh, life, life stories. You know, like, well, how, did, why, why, how did you get here? And, you know, it's pretty obvious why I'm there. But, uh, you know, so I did. And I started writing every day. Of, uh, I was there for about three weeks. So, you know, like 21 days I was there. So every day I would write what happened. I would, like, day one, this is what happened. This is what I saw. This is who I met. This, and it kind of became like a little book thing. And um, when, I was, uh, when I was there, uh, I did see all these interesting things that had happened uh there was this like 70 year old woman who had a crush on me uh she wanted to have sex and uh she saw me talking to another female there who was more my age and she got upset so she walked over to me one morning and she dumped what i had hoped was orange juice over my head and then she threw a chair at the lady, and she called me a cheater, and she called her a slut or something like that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on. Yeah, you can. Uh, you can say that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was uh, really exciting for me. That was an experience. Another girl had a seizure while she was smoking a cigarette. You know, interesting things like that. Um, you know, I'm a advocate for mental health. I struggled with drug addiction and uh, mental health issues. Myself, so I wanted to write a book about that and my uh, own life experiences. Um, you know, I was adopted. Uh, my mother was a prostitute, and my father was basically a male prostitute. Uh, stuff like that. And then I came to the United States when I was a baby. Um, grew, grew up, sort of, uh, but not before making a lot of mistakes, which I did. I, you know, did drugs and. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also had a lot of terrible times uh, in other moments. I've dealt with death. and So it takes all these terrible things. Uh, I'm bipolar. I'm bipolar 2. There's two types of bipolar. Uh, there's bipolar 1 and 2. And if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, bipolar 2 is the less severe form of bipolar disorder. There's like, I'm super bipolar, and then there's, I'm just a little bipolar. So I fall under the little bipolar category, but I'm extremely, uh, I also have a, a PD or panic disorder. And uh, so that's that's what I have that's severe. I have really bad anxiety attacks all the time. They come out of nowhere, the paranoid thoughts, stuff like that. So I've been fighting that for a long time. So I wanted to write about that, but I made it com uh, comical instead. Um, because what am I going to do, sit there and say, oh, my life is terrible, I have such a miserable life? No, no, no. That's, you know, I'm not going to sit there and dwell on the past. It's not acceptable. So I might as well take these bad situations and turn them into something that someone might actually want to read, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so now being bipolar too, and uh, having panic disorders, obviously... Uh, you know, a lot of people that suffer through panic disorders uh, that, you know, 
just daily life can be a struggle, especially dealing with bipolar disorder on top of it. Um, oh my God, I didn't even know that. <laughs> oh my God, they didn't tell me. Why didn't they tell me that? Had I known that? It, no, of course. Yeah, it's a huge struggle. Um, if I if there's something I should I could tell people how to deal with it or how to handle it, um, if it's just breathe, really. And if you can't breathe, well, then, you know, I'm sorry, but... Uh, try not to breathe then. I don't know. But, you know, you just got to go through uh, life uh, funny. Everything is funny. Um, if you don't find the humor in things, then there's no point of living now, is there? Right, exactly. Um, but how does... How does the inside... I mean, there, there, you know, there's two sides of it. Obviously, uh, dealing with stuff like this can be a struggle. Uh, it can also give you insight into uh, different things. And insight is so important in both acting and writing. So how how does the insight that you get from, uh, from you know, going through the things that you've gone through, how does it inform you, you as an actor? How does it uh, inform how you go about the process of preparing for a role and doing a role? I take uh, usually whatever I'm feeling and I try and put that in that role. And acting isn't always being able to relate to a character that you're uh, portraying. Uh, professional acting is certainly uh, playing a role that you, you know, never thought you could. Um, so that's what I that's what I try to do. I try to take how I'm feeling or my anxiety and I, uh, my depression or whatever it is, and I try to uh, put it in the character. I always wanted to be a. a, a, a funny actor like work uh on like funny films you know like um like ben stiller or something you know he's like a funny actor he does comedies or steve martin or um uh you know well tom hanks does both he does comedies and he does uh serious films but you know stuff like that i wanted to do funny things and then i realized i guess i'm i'm more funny like i said in in my writing my my humor comes out through my writing and through my just talking really but uh a lot of directors and producers they all think of me as a uh, a serious actor a more of an emotional character and i guess that's true to a certain from a certain slant i think uh, my uh, personality comes out mostly when i'm uh, acting and then i'm very in the zone very serious and you know so I guess, yeah, that's what I do. Do you find uh, do you find it therapeutic? Is acting therapeutic for you, or do you think it's uh, is it a trigger for anxiety? Uh, you know, being in front of the lights and and all the people, or do you, would you say it's more therapeutic for you? Both. Okay. Both. I um, you know, I from a from some aspects of it, of course, it's therapeutic. But if I'm doing something for too long or I start overthinking in my head, then I get anxiety on the set and I have to take a break. And, you know, it's hard for me, especially in that, you know, everything costs money in this business. Everything is time and money. So, you know, I can't always take a five minute break, you know, but sometimes I really have to uh, to calm down, go for a walk, uh, you know, have a smoke, whatever. Um, So, but yeah, I think. Writing is more therapeutic for me. Uh, acting is a job. Uh, it's a fun job. Um, 
And I think if you can find anybody, whether it's working on a farm or being a singer or working at a Costco, whatever, or an actor, I mean, if you find a job that you love and you can get paid for it at the same time, I think that's a good way to live life. I mean, I'm, I'm an actor. That's my job title. That's what I love to do. And I get a, I get a paycheck for it at the end of the day, too. So I think that's a nice way to, to uh, live life. But writing is definitely how I am. Uh, get my emotions out because once it's on paper I feel like it's no longer in my head and then it can't hurt me anymore absolutely yeah and I, th- I think a lot of people can relate to uh, those kind of mental issues I know there are, there's increased awareness uh, with panic disorder uh, people share their stories a lot uh, you know on social media and uh, things like that and Where definitely with Demi Lovato. Yep. I mean, she's a huge, you know, she struggles with mental illness and drug addiction. I mean, I'm a huge, I'm a fan of hers. Uh, Robin Williams, I was a huge fan of his. And mm-hmm. he struggled with uh, a mental illness. Uh, Carrie Fisher. Um, Carrie Fisher and I have had a very similar life in certain areas. I'm a huge fan of uh, Carrie Fisher's because uh, we've had a very similar life. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, Rue McClanahan, the Golden mm-hmm. Girl, the one that played uh, Blanche, she she suffered from uh, really bad uh, anxiety too. I mean, she was older, granted, but you know, I try and see who do I relate to. I mean, I never compare myself to anyone. You know, I'm I'm Dylan. That's who I am. I'm Dylan Kelly. Just because I happen to have similar life experiences that someone else had does not mean I'm them or that make them me. I'm me, but I try and see. It makes me feel like I'm not alone if I yeah. can say, oh, well, this person was uh, in my field and my business and they had this mental problem or this person was in my field and they were addicted to this drug. Oh, great. I was addicted to this drug. Tell me about it. You know, st- uh, stuff like that. So, but yeah, I, I always uh, felt a close bond to these, uh, some of this uh, fellow coworkers, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, these other stars, you know, I always felt a close bond to them because I could relate to them. You know, we all shared the same kind of mental health issues. We all did drugs. I mean, I'm I'm going to be 22 years old in two weeks, and I'm three years sober now. So, you know, that's a huge accomplishment. That's the biggest Absolutely. accomplishment I've ever made in my life. And I'm engaged. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm getting married. So Congratulations. Of, thank you very much. I have a lot of exciting things going on, but I'm also still, I'm between heaven and hell. That's what I can say my life is. Um, a lot of days I wake up in a great mood. Life is great. Life is so exciting. And then other days I'm in a very, very dark place. Yeah, I, definitely. I think a lot of people can relate to that uh, as well. Now, you said that you moved here uh, when you were a, a baby. From from where did uh, your parents uh, immigrate? Uh, I moved here. Uh, so the people who gave birth to me mm-hmm. were uh, from the uh, country of Bulgaria, which oh. is in Europe. Yep. Yeah, it's like right by uh, it's right by Greece, Romania, Turkey, in that area. And um, so they lived there, I guess. I mean, I don't know what they did. But uh, the people who brought me, who adopted me, they're American. They were born, uh, they were both born in New York, in Long Island. Mm-hmm. My mom and mother's from Huntington, 
New York, and uh, my father was too, actually. So, and, and you said that um, you both your parents uh, worked in the sex trade in uh, in New York. What? Um... No, no, no. Not the parents who adopted me, my birth parents. Oh, okay. All right. I did some research uh, when I was a little bit younger, and I found out that the parents. Who, so when I say that my pa- when I say my parents, I'm talking about the ones who adopted me. Gotcha. When I say the people who gave birth to me, those are not parents. You have to earn that title of right. being a parent, I believe. Uh, you gave me life, sure, but you didn't raise me, you know. So I mean, they're not my parents. They're just someone who gave birth to me. The people who gave birth to me, uh, those. Uh, were the prostitutes yeah gotcha okay um and so then you were adopted uh brought here to the united states um and at, at what point did you at what point did you find out that you were adopted uh my mother never hid it from me she always told me early on, I think it was about four or five when I found, found out. And it didn't really bother me because I, I didn't know, you mm-hmm. know. But then when I was about eight or nine years old, it kind of really hit me that it was. And then it started to bother me. It bothered me for years, you know, that maybe I was never really loved or I never really was wanted by someone, you know. And then I started to hate them for it, like it was their fault. But, you know, I have to give the prostitutes a little bit of credit where it's due. Because the woman who gave birth to me, she could have easily aborted me or swallowed me, for that matter. <laughs> but um, she, uh, she didn't. She cared about me enough to carry me full term. And, uh, well, I was actually born uh, a month early. But she carried me full term and uh, gave me to someone who, or ad- gave me off in hopes that. Uh, someone who could actually take care of me would uh, would do um you know and she didn't have to do that so she carried me for eight months and she knew she couldn't take care of me so she gave me to someone who she knew could i guess in some from a certain slant i guess that's love in some area yeah i think um now i'm not adopted uh it's i think it's easy to have this philosophy from the outside in. So obviously, you know, I can't uh, relate to what it's like to be adopted. But I always sort of thought that the best way to look at it was that children who were adopted were chosen, you know. So, you know, in in a lot of ways... Um, I am the chosen one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But actually, uh, I was not chosen. My parents didn't get to choose who they brought home. When they went to the orphanage, the orphanage company it was called Spence Chapin. Mm-hmm. It, it exists all over the world, but there's one in New York. And um, so the agency was Spence Chapin. And when they got there, uh, they didn't get to choose. They didn't even get to see the kids. The people at the front desk or wherever the hell it was uh, showed them a picture. And the picture happened to be of me. And they weren't, you know, they weren't picky of, oh, we don't want a, we want a boy or we want a girl and we want them to have this color. They weren't like that. They just wanted to have a child because my mother had, you know, like four miscarriages, so she couldn't. Uh, and they just wanted to uh, give a child a happy life who needed it. So they didn't really care who they brought home. 
they just wanted a child and I happened to be the lucky one. So they didn't, I was not chosen. When, um, so now, okay. So, you know, we're at your early life. Um, you, you know, you talked about, uh, drugs. A- at what point did that start to become a problem for you? Well, you know, I always kind of felt like sort of like sort of a, a social outcast. I was always the odd one. I was always the weird one, whether it was me struggling with my sexuality or whatever it was. Um, you know, uh, I had something terrible happen to me when I was uh, um, a child. Um, so that kind of messed me up mentally uh, in regards to my sexuality. I did figure it out um later on in life that's why i'm getting married now to a woman but i mean when i was younger i uh i did struggle with that and um so i was an outcast uh i would be in you know the locker room and i would look at the other guys or you know but i would look at women too i was very very confused and i was always the weird one i didn't really i wasn't mentally up there as the other kids were i should say i felt like i was kind of slow you know i was still you know, let's say they were 13 or 14 or 15 and I was watching, you know, and they would watch like, you know, more adult shows. I would still be watching cartoons or something like that. I was always more slow than the others. Mm-hmm. And then, but I wanted to fit in. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to fit in. But I also always wanted to be an actor. So I was really good at pretending to be something I wasn't. So I acted like everyone else. And then I did get my wish. I, act, I did fit in eventually. I became the popular kid. And I started doing drugs. It started out with uh, drinking. When I was about uh, 12 years old, I started drinking. And then by the time I was 15, I was smoking pot. And then by the time I was uh, 17, I was taking pills, uh, painkillers, Percocets, or uh, benzodiazepines like Xanax, or Kalanapins, or Ativan, anything I could get my hands on. Mm. I did cocaine for a while. And then around the time I was uh, 18 is when I uh, graduated high school. And then when I was 19, uh, I really hit rock bottom because I noticed uh, everyone around me, all my classmates, all, all the people I graduated with, all my friends, they were a little bit older than me, but about, or some were older, some were the same age, but they kind of stopped doing the drugs. They kind of stopped partying as much and they kind of relaxed. They were getting jobs, they were having girlfriends, they were, you know starting to live the life of an adult and i was still in this uh no come on let's go yeah let's you know get fucked up and party and you know do all that stuff so then it became a problem and then in uh, october of 2016 i uh thought i was dying i had a i had a uh really bad psychotic mental breakdown due to my bipolar disorder and i also uh realized that the I smoked pot but the pot was um laced with uh oh I, what was it? I think it was a stardust or whatever they call it uh, some kind of a, it was like dust angel dust angel dust yeah yeah it was laced with that and it really fucked me up and I was hospitalized for that um and it messed with my I guess my uh moods doing the drugs and I was on a, I was on Xanax at the time it was very very bad and I completely lost my mind, and I was in the hospital for, like, not that long, but I was in there for three days. They had to stabilize me with medications, and then after that, I uh, 
I had an overdose a few months after that. I had my a drug overdose at uh, Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. Uh, I had an overdose. I was taking, uh, uh, I think it was 15 of the 15 pills of Xanax, and that wasn't the low dose either. It was the highest dosage available. Uh, the two milligram bars, we call them. They call them in street terminology. They call them bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was taking about 10 to 15 of those in one sitting, and then I would, you know, chug a bottle of, you know, wine on top of that or something or whatever I could get my hands on. Right. So I had the overdose, and uh, I passed out in the hospital, and then I, um, well, I fell down in the street, and then someone brought me in. I woke up in the hospital, and they had to do a, uh, a, a trachea rub or something. I wasn't responding to touch or sound. So I had to, like, uh, a sternum rub really, really hard. And when I woke up, uh, there was, like, five or six doctors all standing around, around me. And they said I was in the pro- – I did overdose, but I was in the process of overdosing. Uh, because, you know, you can be drunk or whatever. And, you know, if someone says, hey, or splashes cold water on your face, uh, you wake up. And I've spent most of my, you know, teenage years more than slightly shit-faced, and I've never – had a problem with waking up before but I did then and they told me that I had overdosed but it wasn't a severe overdose but it didn't matter the point is I overdosed and I would have died if I wasn't in the hospital mm-hmm. and then I went into rehab for the three weeks and that's when I started writing about my uh, experiences then I got out of rehab did it again overdose uh, not overdose but I fell back into drugs but that time I checked myself into rehab the second time and then uh you know, I've pretty much been sober ever since. I mean, I have an occasional drink. Alcohol was never really my problem. It was more like pills. Pills were always my problem. Mm-hmm. I loved taking... I loved benzos. I loved painkillers, and I loved benzos. And I loved um, uh, marijuana and, uh, you know, stuff like that. But I never really drank. So now, today, three years later, I can have, you know, a few glasses of wine or a few beers and not abuse it but because I abused my powers to be altered uh, I suffer now from the uh, really bad anxiety and stuff ever since I had the uh, uh, the hospitalization from the angel dust uh, my body's never been the same I have really bad anxiety since that it's never gone away and when did you start acting like like uh, you said that blue bloods was kind of the first thing that you did when was that that was my first professional, uh, uh, I started acting professionally, professionally, uh, about a, um, about a year and a half ago, two okay. years ago, I'll just say two years ago, and, um, but I've always been acting, I acted in high school, I, you know, was in a few plays in middle school, I was in the theater class in high school for four years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I did a, I took a class in college for, uh, acting for, three weeks until I dropped out after I met my ex-girlfriend and uh, so you know I've always acted I've always been sort of an actor uh, and I've never taken an acting class I've never taken an acting class that's an interesting thing never had to study for it I've uh, they always someone once told me that I have a gift for it I'm like oh okay great thanks I, <laughs> I didn't Saying, but whatever he, but he did tell me. Uh, one a director said, "You have a gift for this. You should, uh, if you're serious about it, you should stick with it." I said, "Okay," 
So, and here I am. So I'm really digging it. It's kind of cool. Do you kind of like do you kind of look at uh, at this? You know, your professional acting career and everything is sort of like uh, almost like a rebirth. Uh, you know, coming from where you came from and, uh, you know, going through all the things that you went through with the, the, the drugs and the overdoses and, and things like that. Um, do you kind of look at it that way or do you look at it more as a, a continuation or, or how, how do you view that? Not at all. I think of acting as a job and that's all it is. It's a job. It's a job I love to do. Uh, you know, you know what my rebirthing is? Uh, sobriety. Mm-hmm. That is me. Uh, that's my rebirthing. Having a, having a fiance, um, you know, having someone who truly loves me, um, which is hard for me because I never really had someone that did. So, um, and I'm young, and you know how it is when you're young. You know, I'm 22 years old. People just want to fuck and party, and that's it. But you know, I already did all that. I did all the partying and the drugging and the sexing and all that stuff when I was younger. All my friends were 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 older than me. So I'm all partied out now. I did all that when I was younger. So now I'm ready to kind of settle down in a sense. But no, acting has nothing to do with it. Uh, see, I'm very... Um, uh, have you ever heard the expression, a lion never says he's a lion? Yeah. It's kind of like that. I mean, uh, you know, it, it is. It's just a job. I love it, but I don't let it get to my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if stardom happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life because it makes me happy. Um but no, uh, my sobriety is uh, is what uh, got me to be uh, rebirthing. I'm not in over my and in over my head like a lot of people are. Um, a lot of people want acting for the wrong reasons, and uh, you know, you know how people are. They want it all for the same. Oh, I want to be an actor. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. You know, and that's the wrong reasons to do it. You know, no one's gonna. Uh, People, I'm not going to say no one's going to hire you because look at the Kardashians. They're not doing this for anything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it's a business. It's, it's show business. It's a business. Um, so, you know, it's about making money. Yes, that's part of it. But it's, you know, you, you can't be, uh, don't be crazy in that sense, you know? Don't feel entitled. No one is entitled to anything. You have to work for everything you have in life. You have to work for it. And you have to earn it, you know? And this business is a very hard business to get into. It's a lot of disappointment, a lot of people that tell you uh, you're not good enough, or a lot of people that lie to your face. And it's very hard, but you got to keep uh, pushing. And I'm a survivor. So, I mean, I'm going to keep on, uh, I'm going to keep on uh, pushing along. So what, what, for you and I, the the answer might be nothing. But uh, what for you do you think would be your kind of uh, perfect path as far as uh, where you take your career, whether it be stand up comedy or acting or writing? What where would you like to see yourself go as far as far as that goes? Um, my writing is very private. Uh, my writing is in my head, and when it comes to writing, there's no director or producer that can say, no, you do it, th- but you have to do it this way, mm-hmm. or no, do it this way. I do it my way, and um, so I really enjoy that, but uh, I would have to say uh, um, acting, because my goal is to, like I'm telling you now, it's to get my life story out there and to stop the stigma that surrounds uh, 
mental illness and uh, stuff, and you know, any kind of situation like that, any kind of mental illness. People don't understand it. People frown upon it. So, I mean, if I have to, you know, my goal is to change the world. Like everyone else's goal is to do the same thing in this business. But my goal isn't necessarily, if I don't change the world, it's at least to leave a message. When I die, I want to leave a message that, you know, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want as long as you fight for it and you believe in yourself then you can do literally anything. Uh, and if people might tell you no, but as long as you say yes, it's going to happen. Just give it time. Everything will fall into place. And that's what, I'm, that's what this career is for me. Acting is a way for me to get my story out there to people who want to hear about it. I do it through singing. Uh, I do it through, um, through writing. I do it through my comedy. But I do it sitting down because I don't like to stand. <laughs> but no, I. Uh, but yeah, I uh, yeah, it's just to help help others. That's my life's journey. I I'm not gonna say I'm a huge religious person, but I certainly believe in God, and uh, I I I know what my destiny is in life, and it's to leave a message for Earth, and uh, it's to help others, help others believe in themselves and know they can. They can fix anything that's wrong. It just takes time. And that's what I'm here for. Well, I think that's, uh, I, I think that you couldn't ask for a better legacy than that, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, that is uh, Dylan Kelly. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to uh, talk to you today. Uh, anyone who is who is interested and, and and we'll link all this below. You can find uh, Dylan on Instagram at dyl five four four five. You can find Dylan on Facebook at Dylan Kelly. That's uh, K E L L E Y. Um, you know, look for him there and uh, look for a lot of uh, good things for for him in the future. Uh, it, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for uh, for joining us, Dylan. Thank you for having me.